Good morning, church. Good morning. We are, this morning, going to be launching a new uh, sermon series. Uh, This sermon series we're entitling Jesus for Everyone, and it'll be a study uh, through the book of Luke and Acts. Um, Luke and Acts together comprise about 27% of the words of the New Testament, so you, maybe the initial thoughts that are in uh, people's minds right now is, how long? <laughs> how long are we going to be in this, this series? About five to ten years. Uh, no. <laughs> we're we're going to be going through this series over uh, the course of the remainder of spring and through the summer. Um, and we won't be covering each chapter, we won't be covering each, each verse, but really what What I hope to be doing over the course of this sermon series is to be highlighting the themes that Luke brings forward in uh, his two uh, letters to the church. Um, Again, I hope for for you to see overarching themes in Luke's writings, but also to enjoy uh, his accounts of Jesus um, as they are this powerful and beautiful invitation for all people to find life joy, and hope in Jesus. At the opening of of his letter um, in the book of Luke, he writes that, that he writes these things so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. That what he's hoping for for people to capture is, is that Jesus is for all. That Jesus is for everyone. And it is uh, again, using that word radical, it is really this, this radical message uh, that he writes to the church when, when he, in the first few chapters of his, of his letter, he quotes the angels of heaven. He quotes heaven breaking out in song and saying that this is good news that will bring great joy for all people. As we get to know uh, Jesus through these two letters, we're hopefully more and more going to get to know a Jesus that is for everybody, that longs to demonstrate his grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his joy to everybody, to a degree that might make us uncomfortable, but then hopefully to a degree that we more and more root to be able to see and to discover because then we'll begin to see just how much Jesus is for us amidst our own pain and brokenness, amidst our own sins and failures, amidst our anxiousness, that we would more and more begin to discover, man, Jesus longs to abide with us. Uh, Another hope that I have uh, in in the sermon series is is to nerd out on Scripture with you. I hope... Uh, over the next 19 to 22 weeks, I haven't decided how long uh, yet, to just unabashedly celebrate the wisdom and genius of Luke's writings. Like, I just want to be able to show the, the parallelism. I want to be able to show the mirroring that he writes with. I want to show the way that he writes with nuance and story and narrative and just be able to show you, man, just all the ways that he weaves all of these stories together in a way that would just show us these messages that he just doesn't write out flat out in. One of the things that you have to know about Luke 
is that he's, he's a doctor and he's a storyteller. And, and all that to say, what he's doing with, with great wisdom and, and just genius is that he's, he's giving us theology. He's giving us an understanding of God through narrative. And that may frustrate us because what we may want Luke to do is just say, Luke, just tell us flat out. People are important, right? But he doesn't do it that way. What he does is that he tells a whole bunch of stories. And then as we dive deep into the depths of scripture, we begin to discover what he is communicating through story. And so, really, the invitation is the same invitation that all of Scripture uh, invites us into, is that, yes, the Bible is, is very helpful to read on, on a first passing, but one of the things that people have begun to discover is that in order to understand the Bible, you have to read the Bible. And it's this constant, like, just circle of reading that you have to do. That where, where you, you read scripture and you get an idea of what God is communicating through these faithful writers of scripture, and then you read scripture again, and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, they're playing off of one another. They're, they're mirroring each other, and they're alluding to each other, and then you read through scripture again, and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, there's even more that you're doing here. And, and Luke is writing with that same flavor, where he's writing to us, and you would read through it, and then you go, wait a minute, I need to go back, and I need to reread that, because I think that what you're doing here is tying these, these, these two things together. Here's a nerding out moment for you. I, again, I'm just going to just joyfully say, I, I'm just going to geek out on Scripture throughout this whole entire sermon series, and I, just, I hope that you enjoy it, and if you don't, it's okay, I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, Luke captures a man named Simeon saying that Jesus will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So there's something that Simeon, Simeon prays over Jesus. Well, if you go back into Isaiah chapter 49, what you realize is that's a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 49. And then you fast forward to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, verse 47, Luke captures the apostle Paul quoting the exact same words from Isaiah chapter 49. And so what you realize is that when Luke wrote the book of Luke, he already had in mind that he would be writing the book of Acts. That they're all one really long story. If you were disappointed by that TV show Lost, where things were set up on the front end and you thought that, man, the, the, the season finale is just going to be absolutely incredible, and then it wasn't because they didn't answer all the questions that you had, or you were just like, there were so many things that you just, just like forgot about, if you were left disappointed by that, you are not going to be left disappointed by Luke. Because he, he writes in a way where there's, there's so much continuity. There's so much purpose. There's so much drawing all these things that are going on together. And what he's communicating in both of these books, again, is that Jesus is for everyone. Luke is particularly focused on showing that the good news is for the poor, the weak, and the socially outcast. 
Jesus is for everyone. And we're going to be going through this series in a somewhat unique way. How are we going to be going through 27% of the New Testament in just about 19 to 22 weeks? In the unique way of showing that Jesus is for everyone, Luke highlights women in profound ways. More than any other gospel author, Luke talks about women. Constantly highlighting the stories of women. And, and he does this in a way that I'm going to bring up on, on the screen here. In the book of Luke and Acts together, Luke pairs together stories of women and men. I scrubbed through over the past, I don't know, a couple of months, I've been scrubbing through the books of, of Luke and Acts, consulting with other, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say other because I would assume that I'm some kind of theologian. I was consulting with theologians and biblical scholars and there's this theme that people have noticed that as Luke writes out these stories, he's constantly pairing together women and men. And again, this is him doing theology through storytelling. He never flat out says, hey, pay attention to this. Look at all the women and men that I'm going to pair together. <laughs> he just leaves it unspoken. And, and so there are, I think there's about 32 to 34 examples where you'll see general stories of like Zachariah and Mary being paired together. Um, you'll see where, like over the course of the book of Acts, he goes out of his way to say both men and women when he's quoting about what's happening in the disciples and, and in the, the cities that people are going into. Um, you'll see like Priscilla and Aquila in, in the book of Acts chapter 18. And in what would have been not so subtle message to, to the ancient uh, Near East is that he puts Priscilla's name first, the woman's, the woman's name first. Just a, a, what would be a, a not so subtle way of saying she was likely the pastor of the community, that it was her and Aquila. You'll see that he'll quote Jesus, um, he'll capture Jesus telling parables, and when he, when he captures Jesus telling parables, he'll capture Jesus telling uh, paired parables, where he'll tell a story, there was a woman who lost a coin, there was a shepherd who lost a sheep. When he captures Jesus' teaching to, to, the, to the crowds and, and to the peoples that are around him, He'll capture Jesus telling stories from the Old Testament, but then he'll make sure that Jesus tells, he captures Jesus telling stories of, well, for example, here's a woman, and for example, here's a man. And, and then you'll see poor examples, a way to show, hey, we're all equal in Christ. It's like, hey, we all mess up, right? And so he'll quote, uh, he'll tell a story of Ananias and Sapphira lying uh, to the leaders of the church. He'll tell stories about opposition happening where influential, influential religious women and leaders of the city, uh, male leaders of the city, were opposing the message of Paul. You'll see at the cross and the resurrection that he purposely pairs uh, women and men interacting with Jesus on the cross and after the resurrection. And not so subtly, right? Like when Peter denies Jesus uh, at the cross, at the crucifixion, Peter denies Jesus to a woman and to a man, as if the way to say that Peter was, was denying Jesus to everybody. So again, it just 
Isn't this fun? <laughs> right? To be able to look at the pages of Scripture and just find that as, as, as Luke's telling these stories, he's teaching us theology. That for the early church, they were to be a community that would understand those that might be on the fringe of society, those that might be... Uh, not as influential in, in the culture around you. They're, they're equal in our community. Jesus is for everyone. And again, it is, it, so over the next 19 to 20, uh, 22 weeks, we'll be looking at these. Obviously, there's 34, and you're saying 19 to 22 weeks. Uh, I'm still wrestling with. Uh, I've got a pretty good idea of which ones we'll, we'll be walking through, but we'll be um, capturing a lot of these stories. And it won't be just looking at these stories, but through the lens of these gender pairings that Luke has, uh, we'll be looking at the different themes that Luke brings up in his writings. Um, so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take us on the opening story in Luke chapter 1, the story of Zechariah and Mary. And actually, you'll see that there's kind of, there is even more pairings in this because it's Elizabeth and Zechariah, and then there's Zechariah and Mary. And so then you realize, does that count as two? Does it count as one? You can argue um, about it in your own time, I suppose. And you just find that through this opening um, story that Luke is setting us up. He's, he's, he's giving us all of the big ideas uh, in this opening chapter. I, you're, you'll also notice that Luke chapter 1 is 80 verses long. I'm not going to read all of those this morning. I'm going to capture some snippets of this story. And then after that, I'm going to give you a highlight of the themes that I'm seeing Luke bringing forward um, in, in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be... Uh, you know what? I'm starting at verse 5. I jumped forward. I was like, this doesn't make sense. Look, starting at verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great uh, crowd stood around outside praying. While, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. 
He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and will cause those who are rebellious to accept wisdom, the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also along in years. Jumping down to verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's Zechariah's wife, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will call him to the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. I'm going to jump down to verse 39. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He, has shown, he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he had made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So our first theme that we'll be looking at is just called pairings, pairings. By pairing Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary together, what does Luke show us? Luke cares greatly about highlighting the strength, courage, and faithfulness of women. Elizabeth is being described as being from the priestly line of Aaron. That's no subtle thing there. To make sure that he highlights her, she is a woman that would be of great significance, of great heritage. This is a woman that you should look up to. Not only that, but he describes that, that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. He describes her in the way that a great prophet of Israel would be described. She's from the line of Aaron, and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And she testifies who Jesus is. Mary is described as favored by God. The Lord is said to be with her. 
she prophesies. And in that prophecy, she weaves together Old Testament scriptures with the skill of a lifelong Bible scholar. Highlighting Mary for us. This is a woman of renown. But Zechariah is also cast in good light. But there's nuance to that, right? He's devout, he's godly, but he also doubts. And all of this, Luke pairs these stories together to surprise us. God isn't just visiting the Jewish priest. He's visiting the poor girl in the remote parts of Israel. The point isn't to badmouth men. It isn't, just to, it isn't to cast them in a bad light. But it's to shock us into seeing how God desires to show his favor to all people. We might be tempted to think hierarchy. This person has access to God dependent on how important we think they are in society and religious structures. But Luke, through story, teaches us male and female, Jew and Gentile, old and young, strong and weak, rich and poor, can all be models of faithful following of Jesus. And it's meant to be a source of encouragement for us. You can follow Jesus. You can be a model of great faith. Because all people, Jesus is for everyone. Let's go to the next point and explore another layer of what Luke is doing here. It's called the great reversal. Uh, The great reversal is, is to teach us that God is a God of great upheavals. He's flipping the script on who we might deem to be of importance and significance. In doing this, what what Luke is showing us is that God is turning the world upside down or right side up. Mary breaks out in prophecy. She she prophesies this. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from the thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away with empty hands. And what we find what Luke is doing here is to teach us is that God is exalting the humble and he's bringing down the mighty. He's feeding the hungry, but he's calling out those that are overfed. He breaks down the strong and he strengthens the weak. The great reversal portrays a God who pays special attention to the plight of the poor and he confronts the corruption of humanity. Later on, after Jesus calls his disciples, he gives them this, one of these opening teachings. He says, then Jesus turned to his disciples and he says, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. But then Luke pairs that teaching with this teaching. What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now for a time of awful hungry awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds for their ancestors also were praised by false prophets. And what Paul, Luke is doing here is to show us, man, God's eyes 
God's eyes are on the fringe and the outcast and the marginalized of society. And through story, he will constantly weave this together. He will constantly show us this through the way that he pairs different stories together. Again, for the early church, this would not have been a so subtle message because when Jesus starts his ministry, he opens up to the prophet Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and it's upon me for the oppressed. It's to set people free. It's for liberation. It's for jubilee. Jesus is giving us his own thesis statement. And Luke makes sure to capture that for us to not diminish that message that's upon Jesus' lips. But there's another dimension to this great reversal, and it's how we are to live in a way that, that reflects that reversal. We are to live in a way that models this upside-down nature of God's kingdom, where if it's true that a humble, poor, young girl is a model of faithful worship, then that is the same posture we are to live with. God's kingdom celebrates the humble and those that act with sacrificial love. And we are left surprised about who acts in this way. We're stunned by the people who love their enemies. We're left stunned by the people throughout Luke's writings about who responds faithfully and who does not. The upside-down nature of God's kingdom is that we should come to expect that the most unlikely person can come to embrace Jesus and his ways. Think of the most absurd and unbelievable example, and Luke will probably write about them. Listen to scholar Michael Card. He says, as Luke went about the task of collecting eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus... He went around, right? Luke went around and tried to capture everyone's story. What do you know about Jesus? How did this play out? And, and so as he does this, Michael Card writes, he likely noticed a pattern emerging. Time and time again, religious leaders, supposedly spiritual men, people who should have understood that what Jesus' ministry was about, were simply unable to comprehend the rabbi from Nazareth. On the other hand, simple, run-of-the-mill people, most of them women, were able to almost immediately grasp the gift of grace that Jesus was offering them. Eventually, the sheer weight of examples caused Luke to develop these stories into a literary theme for which, for a lack of better term, I call when those who should don't and those who shouldn't do. Let me use a dorky example. If, if, if Luke were to write the Avengers series, I want you to think about Thor's hammer. Thor's hammer is famously only be able to be wielded by those that were worthy, right? And, it's, and so when you watch the end game, or I forget which movie, someone can correct me on this, maybe it's not so dorky if I don't know exactly. But when he, capt- he captures this moment where Captain America picks up Thor's hammer and begins to wield it. And it's this, right, if you were in theaters, it was this huge point of celebration where everyone began to cheer. And it was like, yes, Captain America is worthy to be able to do this. Well, if Luke were to write this story, it would likely be at some point Thanos picked up Thor's hammer. It would be like this outlandish moment where you're absolutely left stunned 
he picked it up? He's the one that's wielding this? Let me, let, me, let me have you think about it this way. You can probably guess that out of all the people that wrote gospel accounts, there's one person that told the story of two people on this, being on the sides of Jesus being crucified, and one of them was mocking Jesus, and the other one, a thief on the cross, turned to Jesus and said, remember me. It was Matthew that wrote it. No, it wasn't. It was Luke. <laughs> of course it was Luke. Of course it was Luke. When Matthew and Mark tell this story of Jesus being crucified, they just simply says there were two guys on the side of Jesus and both of them mocked him. When Luke writes this story, he goes, right? Again, theology through narrative. When Luke writes this story, he, he goes, there's something significant taking place here. Let me pair two people together, one who mocks Jesus and one who is on the cross for being a thief, for being a criminal, turns to Jesus and says, remember me. Of course it was Luke that's going to pair these two stories together. Again, to teach us, Jesus is for everyone. Everyone. The most outlandish example that you can think of. Jesus is for everyone. Who, who writes the story of the Good Samaritan? Luke. It's Luke. It's, it's the Samaritan, the one that would have been viewed as, as an enemy. People have been hostile to this man, this Samaritan. And Luke frames him in a way that says, let me pair him, let me pair him with a Levite and a priest. And who's going to act in a way that shows a faithful following of Jesus' ways? It's going to be the Samaritan. There's another theme that I'll take you through pretty quickly. It's called the journey to Jerusalem. The story starts with Zechariah in Jerusalem at the temple. Jesus will be presented at the temple in Jerusalem as a baby, but it will not be until the closing chapters of the book of Luke where Jesus is again in Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, Luke writes, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. It will not be for 10 chapters that Jesus finally steps foot into Jerusalem. And, and what ends up happening here, between chapter 9, when Luke says, all right, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, and then he sprinkles in about eight different times where he reminds us, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and then finally in chapter 19, 10 chapters later, when Jesus finally steps foot into Jerusalem, what's happening in those 10 chapters has, been come, to know, has come to be known as the gospel for the outcast. Those 10 chapters are filled with Jesus preaching and teaching about our love for the outcast. So many of the stories of Jesus' teachings are connected to God's love for the lost and the outsider. And, and maybe one of the crescendo moments of that is in Luke chapter 15, where he tells the story of the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the prodigal brothers. Again, pairing all of those together. 
what the message here is Jerusalem will be the place that Jesus is crucified, and along the way to the cross, he is shown to be demonstrating his love for sinners. That it will be through him on the cross, on the journey to Jerusalem, that we have hope for forgiveness and redemption. And there's another message that's at play in this journey to Jerusalem. He will reign over his people through serving and suffering. And his death on the cross cross ushers in a kingdom marked by self-giving love and sacrifice. And we are all supposed to be on this journey to Jerusalem. This journey to Jerusalem is meant to be how we live. We are supposed to mirror the movement of Jesus to Jerusalem. And along the way, over the course of the chapters of our lives, ours is to be a gospel for the outcast. Part of the story of this journey to Jerusalem highlights a theme of Luke's, and it's constantly connecting Jesus to the history of Israel. Luke is a historian. I might have mentioned that earlier, and he places Jesus' story within the context of the history of Israel. When he launches his story, he first highlights it by bringing up Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and he also highlights Mary, and he creates all kinds of hyperlinks to the story, to the stories of the Old Testament. Old, Old Testament passages are quoted, barren women finding favor with God, people in God's dwelling place not understanding who he is. Luke starts his story by framing it within Israel's story. He starts it by, quote, by saying this, Herod was the king of Judea. There was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. And the reason that we should be rooting on this kind of a story is because what Luke is doing is showing us that if God is faithful to, to Israel, he will be faithful to you. God is a God who keeps his promises. That this is a new movement and a new story that, that, that Jesus is inaugurating, but it's tied to the old because God is faithful. And here's one of the correlations that I hope that you're stunned by. Another nerding out example. Zechariah goes into the temple. He's just right outside of the holies of holies. No one can just waltz into this place. Because he was a priest of Israel, he could step into the holies of holies. The story of Jesus is being set in this sacred Jewish space. Zechariah's Jewish devotion is greatly applauded. And then the very next story, this poor young girl in a remote town becomes the Holy of Holies. Becomes the place that God dwells in. It is a pairing that should leave you absolutely stunned, floored. It's intentional. Zechariah had to go through all of this effort to just be on the fringe of the Holy of Holies. And then God shows up to a poor girl in a remote village and says, God is with you. God is dwelling with you. You're favored. He, he just, what Luke does, he just shows, look, there's, there, there's, the, there's the priests and the Levites that are able to enter the Holy of Holies, and then there's Mary the sacred space that she gets to step into. 
But it's an honoring of all that God has been doing in his faithfulness to the people of Israel. It's connected to his faithfulness. And then it's also saying, guess what? There's a new way that he's doing this that is giving you access to his presence that will leave you absolutely floored. Man, the access that you have to Jesus' presence. He just doesn't frame it within the history of Israel, but he also frames it within the history of humankind. Luke doesn't just place the story there. He places it within all of human history. Luke 1 says that when Herod was king of Judah, and then Luke 2, he writes, at the time the Roman emperor Augustus decreed. And what he's doing there is he's showing us that all of human history is meant to be understood in light of Jesus. All of our lives and every portion of who we are is meant to be understood in light of who Jesus is. And by placing all of his stories within the framework of human history, we're compelled to understand that there is not a place that God is not already at work in. He is at work over the pages of human history. So whatever scenario we find ourselves arriving in, we can have the expectation God has already been at work here. Again, he, he beautifully gives us theology through, through story. Jesus is in the setting of human history. Let me wrap things up, and I'll invite the worship team to come forward, and I'll just bring these last ones forward that we'll be journeying through. One is parallelism or mirroring. And the idea here is, is, is that Luke will constantly tell one story, and then way later on, he'll tell another story, and they mirror one another. And, and the point is that a faithful following of Jesus means that we will experience what Jesus experiences. Our lives will be like they can be mapped on to the stories that Luke writes. About salvation, we'll see stories that Jesus will heal. He'll usher in jubilee and freedom. Jesus will save. He is the Savior and Redeemer. Luke talks about salvation more than any other gospel author. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit. Luke describes Jesus as being empowered by the Holy Spirit more than any other gospel author. And a message to us is that a faithful living and faithful witness happens by the empowering of God's Holy Spirit. We'll talk about prophecy. We'll talk about prophesying. Luke loves to see all people empowered by God's Holy Spirit to speak about Jesus men and women, young and old. Listen, I can't wait for future weeks. Uh, at some point, I'll tell you the story about Larissa and I in Bible college and uh, us getting into a debate in one of our classes about the role of women uh, in leadership in the church. Um, you'll have to wait for future weeks to hear how that all played out. But we ended up married, so we worked out pretty well. Um, but, but Luke has a vision of young and old women and men having prophetic visions and dreams. And then lastly, worship. Exuberant, joyful worship 
is heaped upon Jesus by people in Luke's writings. Mary and Zechariah give eloquent, powerful, joyful declarations of praise. Through his stories, Luke will teach us that a thankful, singing heart is, that, is something that God inspires in all of us. That we are to be a people of joy and celebration. That we are to be a people that enjoy the presence of Jesus and heap upon him with all the treasures of our lives. We are to heap upon him praise and glory. Church, would you stand with me? Um, before we enter into song, one book that I would definitely recommend to you, it's called The Story Luke Tells, and it's by Justo Gonzalez, a church historian. It's about 120 pages long, and he just goes through all the different, not all the different themes, but he goes through a collection of themes written um, by Luke in the books of Luke and Acts. Um, you can nerd on, out on that with me if you'd like. Um, it's an incredible read that just very approachable way takes you through all the different things um, that Luke is writing in these two books. Father, as we enter into this time of worship, as we conclude our time together in a place of singing, Lord, may that be the posture of our hearts. May we be a people that know your goodness. May we be a people that sing, that declare that you are good and there is salvation and hope in you. So this morning, Lord, the hope is that all of our lives would give you glory and praise. And we would do so with joyful, thankful hearts. Amen.